0: Well, good morning and happy Easter. I hope that this Easter, the Easter Bilby is good to you. The Easter Bilby? I hear you ask. Well, yeah, the Easter Bilby. You see, it's, it's, we're not allowed to have the Easter bunny anymore. It's part of the whole politically correct thing. You see, rabbits are pests. They're not native to Australia and they do heaps of damage to the environment. And the Bilby, is actually a threatened species. So it's far more politically correct these days to replace the Easter bunny with the Easter bilby. And in fact, nowadays, there's a whole suite of animals you can get. There's the Easter wombat. There's also the Easter koala. In fact, when you think about it, we could probably have a whole range of native animals. We could have the the Easter kangaroo and the, the Easter blue ringed octopus and the Easter Sydney funnel web spider. But really, the whole thing is actually about, it's about political correctness, isn't it? Now, a lot of people aren't very keen on political correctness. But look, I think it's fantastic because how else could we ever talk about those touchy subjects without offending people? See, there are all sorts of wonderfully politically correct terms that we can use nowadays. For instance, we don't call people lazy anymore. No, parents Your slovenly teenager is not lazy, they just have a motivation deficit. And ladies, your husband, he is not a male chauvinist pig, he just has swine empathy. You see, political correctness is marvellous for helping us to say those kind of hard things. It helps us to avoid offending people. And so it's actually changed the way I look at myself. You see, I'm no longer bald, I am follically independent and I'm not short. I am low ceiling advantaged and I'm not ugly. I have an attractional deficit. See, political, in- political correctness actually helps us to take the sting, the offense out of any situation. Right up until you do the translating and then you realize that I'm not a follically, independent, low-ceiling, advantage person with an attractional deficit. I'm just short, bald, and ugly. You see, that's the problem with political correctness, isn't it? We may not actually offend people with it, but we also don't face the truth either, do we? In fact, sometimes sugarcoating things is a way of avoiding the truth, isn't it? So I remember hearing that the army doesn't use the word retreat Anymore. They don't retreat. No, now they call it advancing to the rear. We're not running away, we're advancing to the rear. And yet, any way you look at it, whether you're retreating or advancing to the rear, clearly the situation is bad, right? All the euphemism does is sugarcoat things and lead us to a false sense of security. And so this morning, I'm going to push for a politically incorrect Easter. I say we smash the Easter bilbies and we call each other bald, ugly and lazy because of all the holidays in every year, Easter is by far the most politically incorrect one. When you look at Easter closely, you realise it's an incredibly incorrect holiday. So Good Friday has a politically incorrect cause it celebrates a politically incorrect event. And what I hope to lead you to show to see is it actually celebrates a wonderful, wonderful outcome. Because rather than sugarcoating things, Easter actually deals with our biggest problem. You can see the politically incorrect cause of Easter in the part of the book of the Bible that you can see there. From the book of Hebrews, it says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he'll appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, you can't get two more politically incorrect ideas than death and judgment, can you? And yet they together are the cause of Easter. And of course, death is a topic that everyone's trying to avoid, isn't it? No one wants to talk about death. That's why we've come up with hundreds, literally hundreds of euphemisms to avoid using the word death. I recently found a list of 200 euphemisms to describe death. So we don't die, we pass away. We rest in peace. We shuffle off this mortal coil. Or getting a little bit more risky, you might say someone has bought the farm or gave up the ghost or they've cashed in their chips. Or if you really want to stretch it, you might say they are taking a dirt nap. They're immortality challenged. They have kicked the oxygen habit. They are tending towards a state of chemical equilibrium. They have bought the pine apartment. They've gone into the fertilizer business. They are in the horizontal phone booth, or my particular favorite was, they are now at room temperature. Now, why do we come up with all of these euphemisms for death? Well, it's because even saying someone is at room temperature is better than using the word death, right? Death is something we don't want to think about. I mean, what sort of person is fascinated by death? Really, we're all trying to avoid it. That's why we're told to eat less and lower our cholesterol and give up smoking and eat less salt and do more exercise. Because if you do those things, you will live longer. And even if you don't live longer, it's certainly going to feel like you've lived longer. Death is the most politically incorrect notion of all, isn't it? And yet our passage today says that it's the destiny of every single one of us. It's the indisputable certainty of life. And in fact, even worse, after we die in Hebrews nine twenty-seven, we then face God's judgment. You see, in the Bible's eyes, in God's eyes, death and God's judgment are actually joined together. Because you see, death is not how things were meant to be. We often talk about death as the natural end of life, but it's not the natural end of life. Now, human beings were never actually meant to die. God designed us to live forever. Death is actually a sign that things have gone terribly wrong between us and God. Which is why we actually have this sense that death is awful, isn't it? I mean, no matter how much we tell ourselves that death is the natural end of life or it's a normal part of things, we just all know deep inside us, don't we, that death is awful. And we try and make ourselves feel better by saying things like, oh, well, he he had a good innings, he lasted 80 years, but look, we know we're just trying to make ourselves feel better because no matter how old someone is when they die, we know it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy when someone is eight or when someone is 80, when they die, because God has designed us to live forever. The reason we don't live forever is something that the Bible calls sin. And sin is rebellion against God. Now, we normally in our culture, we normally think of sin in terms of sins, plural, things like lying or swearing, or getting drunk. But actually, those things are just symptoms of the disease. The disease itself is rebellion against God. You see it in this part of the Bible up on the screen. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Now, right there is a great definition of sin. Instead of seeking God, instead of wanting to get to know God and to listen to God, what we all do is we turn away from God. Sin is that decision that says, I want to live my life my way and I want to be in charge, not God. I want to call the shots in my life. And the Bible says we actually all make that decision. We see what it says. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks God. The fact is every single human being in history has turned away from God and we all want to be the boss of our own lives. I mean, when you think about it, we, we hate anyone telling us what to do, don't we? Let alone God. Quite a few years ago now, I remember my wife Emma and I were sitting in our car at a set of traffic lights and I just happened to look into the bus lane next to me and I noticed a little sign in the bus driver's window of the bus sitting next to us. The sign in the window said, do not enter bus by driver's window. Now, I don't know about you, but in a million years, it would never have occurred to me to try and get on a bus through the driver's window. I mean, I would have thought the door would have been more practical, don't you? And yet, as soon as I saw that sign, you know what I thought? I thought I wouldn't mind having a crack at that. That bus driver, he looks pretty bored and sluggish. I reckon I could be through the window, across his lap and out the door before he even got to move. You see, we hate being told what to do, don't we? We hate anybody setting the rules and the boundaries for us. And we especially hate God bossing us around. And sin is where we all make this decision. I am going to run my life my way. But the Bible says that decision is fatal because God's the one who gave us our lives. And when we use our lives to rebel against him, he takes our lives away. And so every single one of us will die. And what's more, the time will come for every single one of us when we will all stand before God to explain our actions. We'll all have to explain to God why we chose to ignore him, why it is that we've taken the life that he's given us and shut him out of it which is actually quite a scary notion isn't it easter has the most politically incorrect cause people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment and you know if the cause is bad enough it actually gets even worse Because Easter celebrates an incredibly politically incorrect event. Because look at the next bit that our passage says just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once. Easter celebrates an incredibly politically incorrect event. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, was sacrificed, was crucified. On a cross now for most of us crucifixion isn't something that we actually know very much about i mean none of us have ever seen one and so what that means is we tend not to realize just how horrific it was especially because you know you look at those paintings and jesus is usually pictured as being at most a little bit sad on the cross you know he's kind of hanging up there and he's he's melancholy i mean he's also usually you can see in the paintings usually pretty ripped as well but from the look on jesus face Crucifixion looks like at most it's an unpleasant kind of experience, but in reality, crucifixion was a brutal, brutal way to die. There is nothing politically correct about crucifixion. Crucifixion was devised by barbarians on the very edge of the world, and it was designed to delay death until the maximum amount of torture had been inflicted on the person being crucified. In the first century, crucifixion was actually reserved for the lowest of criminals, traitors to the Roman state, murderers, those kinds of people. Usually only slaves were crucified. Only scum got crucified. The lowest types of criminals, human garbage. See, after you were condemned to be crucified, the first thing that happened is you were were scourged with whips and thongs and the idea was to to turn the flesh on your back to a kind of mush a, a pulp not so that you die but so that when you when you lay against the cross it would cause you agony and then they would strap the crossbeam to your back and you carried it through the city streets And you carried it out into the countryside to the place where you were going to be crucified. And along the way, hordes of people would beat you and kick you and spit on you and knock you to the ground and even throw urine and feces at you because they were allowed to. Being crucified meant that you were human scum. And when you reached the crucifixion site, they stripped you naked and paraded you before the jeering crowds. And then you were laid on top of your crossbeam again while they drove nails through your wrists. The idea that it went through the hand, when you think about it, a hand isn't strong enough to hold the human weight. The nails went through the wrist and then they hoisted you in the air. Sometimes they would put a seat under your bottom so that you would live a little bit longer. Often they would smash your knees with a club or a spear and bend your legs up underneath you and then nail your ankles to the cross as well. And then they left you to die. But it wasn't a quick death. No crucifixion took hours, sometimes even days. You either died of exposure or thirst over the course of a few days, or you became so weak that you could no longer keep your head up and when it finally slumped forward, you would choke. Sometimes to hurry you along, they'd put a spear in your belly. And you know what was worse than all of that physical suffering? Crucifixion was also a sign that God hated you. Because in God's Old Testament law, he said that anyone who was crucified was under his curse. It was a sign of God's hatred. You see, crucifixion was the most horrendous, humiliating way to die. Have a look at what a fellow named Cicero, he lived around Jesus' time. This is what he said about crucifixion. He wasn't a Christian, but he said, There is no fitting word to describe so horrible a deed. The very word cross should be removed from our thoughts, our minds, our eyes and our ears. You see, crucifixion is the most politically incorrect idea in the world. And yet that's what Easter is all about celebrating. We're celebrating the, defa- the fact that a man named Jesus went through all of that. You can see why we come up with things like Easter bunnies and Easter bilbies, can't you? Easter eggs and Easter bonnets and Easter wombats because anything is better than thinking about crucifixion. You see, of all the holidays in a year, Easter is far away the most politically incorrect. It's got an incorrect, politically incorrect cause. It celebrates a politically incorrect event. And yet we call today Good Friday. Easter is actually the most wonderful holiday, because the outcome of Easter is so good. In fact, it's wonderful. You see, political political correctness fails to deal with the real problems, but this politically incorrect holiday has the most wonderful outcome. It deals with our biggest problem. Because have a look on the screen, why Jesus died. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he'll appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You see, Jesus' death may have had an incredibly incorrect cause. It may be a politically incorrect event, but it has the most wonderful outcome. In verse 28, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Jesus died that horrible, horrible death for a reason, to take away the sins of people. Jesus' death wasn't a horrible accident. It wasn't just a senseless slaying. No, it was a deliberate sacrifice where Jesus took away our sins Verse 28 says that Jesus bore our sins. That is, when Jesus died on that cross, He bore the guilt for our rebellion. He carried our guilt on His shoulders and He took our punishment. Remember, the punishment for sin was death and judgment. But that's what happened to Jesus on the cross. He died in our place. He took our punishment from God and he paid for our rebellion. That's what the cross was all about. It was a direct swap. We had rebelled against God, but Jesus took our penalty. Jesus died our death so that we will never have to stand guilty before God. Instead, look what our future can be in verse 28. He says, Jesus will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You see, our salvation doesn't have to, our future, our destiny doesn't have to be death and judgment. Our destiny can actually be salvation with Jesus, salvation from death, salvation from God's judgment, salvation for an eternal life with Jesus. Isn't that the most incredible news? Today, just over 2000 years ago, a man died the most brutal, awful, horrible death For you, to save you for eternity. And it's not a fairy story, it's reality. It really happened for you and for me. The question is do you want to celebrate a politically incorrect Easter? Do you want to accept Jesus' death as your sacrifice? So that when Jesus comes again, he can rescue you and save you and take you to heaven. Because I do. I decided 33 years ago to place my destiny in Jesus' hands. I decided 33 years ago I was going to place my eternity and my whole life here in Jesus' hands. That's the best thing I ever did. Why not do that today? Why not say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with my eternal destiny. I'm going to trust you with this life as well. I'm going to trust you to run my life here. And I'm going to trust you to give me life forever. I'm going to stop running my life, my way. I'm going to trust you to do it. Why not trust Jesus with your eternal destiny? There's no better day to do it than Good Friday. All you have to do is talk to God. In fact, you can see on the screen of prayer, it says to God some of the things that we've been talking about. Let me read it to you. It says, Dear God, I know that I've rebelled against you. I know that my destiny is death and judgment. Thank you that Jesus was sacrificed to take away my sin. Thank you that he's coming again to bring eternal salvation. Please forgive me. And help me to trust Jesus with my life now. If you believe that, if you want to place your life and your eternity in Jesus' hands, why not pray that prayer? What I'm going to do is in a second, I'm actually going to pray that prayer line by line. And I'm going to leave just a short gap in between each line where you can say it. You can just say it quietly in your mind to God. And by doing that, you'll be placing your eternity and your life in Jesus' hands. If you believe what we've been talking about, why don't you pray this with me? I'll pray now. Dear God, I know that I have rebelled against you. I know that my destiny is death and judgment. Thank you that Jesus was sacrificed to take away my sin. Thank you that he's coming again to bring eternal salvation. Please forgive me and help me to trust Jesus with my life now. Amen.